A few years ago, I had a meeting with a young man here in Huntsville who had visited our church and connected with a few people while here and asked them how he could meet with one of our ministers. So he was directed to me, and I met with him. He had grown up in a different faith, became an atheist while in high school, and then through exploration and his own reason, through listening to different topics and wrestling with various philosophies, he became a believer in the resurrection of Jesus and thus became a believer in Jesus. In talking with me, he described the moment he realized that he believed in the resurrection. He was at work, listening to a podcast, and he told me that it just made sense to him in an instant, and he realized he believed that it was true. And then everything changed. He described a, a sense, a feeling, simultaneously recounting it to me as an overwhelming grace, a lightness, and at the same time, a burden. He used the word transcendent, which is a word that we use to describe an experience that goes beyond the natural or physical world. It had been with him for weeks. I told him that it sounded to me like he had what we call an experience with the Holy Spirit, or the presence of God through the work of the Spirit. I told him that he was lucky, that from my estimation, people only had a handful of similar occurrences in an entire lifetime, and that they don't always spend adequate time dwelling on the experience. In my mind, he was one of the lucky ones. He'd had a bona fide, tangible, spiritual experience of God that many of us long for. In fact, I told him, many people, when they want to talk to me about these things, want to know how to experience this, how to make God show up. And then I asked him, so why did you want to meet with me? And I'll never forget his answer. He looked at me, and almost in despair, he said, because it's overwhelming. I can't sleep. I want to know how to make it go away. This month, on the FBC Young Adults Podcast, this is going to be a podcast series about that. John Lemons, the minister to young adults at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and you're listening to the FBC Young Adults Podcast. I'm joined today by my co-worker and our ministry resident to young adults, Sam Maxwell, and throughout the month of October, we'll be exploring encounters with the Holy Spirit through a number of avenues. We'll hear some of our personal stories, some personal stories from others, from uh, encounters that people have had with God or the Spirit of God as it's described in Scripture. And hopefully we will be able to give you some tools that you will be able to use to discover and think through and sort of curate the experiences that you've had in your own life. And finally, we'll deal with what to do when there are no such encounters, when you feel like you are in a desert, when you wonder why God is so silent or if he even cares or if he's even there. So we'll be exploring all of that together this month. We're looking very much forward to it. Before we get into that, Sam, I want to welcome you back from vacation. I hope it was a good time. I know you missed our last episode of Know Thyself. 
but mm. uh, hopefully it was for a worthwhile cause. It was good. Yeah, it was. A, it was nice to get away. It's a. Uh, it's good to know thyself and when you need to have a some time away to rest and relax. Um, but I'm happy for this month and this new series. It looks like we're bringing the spooky to Spooktober. Nice with all this discussion on a Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, right? Maybe maybe we should say Holy Ghost yeah. at the month. I know that's the old school way to do it. Yeah. But uh, well, awesome. So you went down, by the way, to uh, Destin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know yeah. that's kind of the one of the go-to beaches in in Alabama. So that was your first experience at the at, at an Alabama beach. Yeah, it, it was it was neat. You know, I've only ever seen East Coast beaches, um, so it was nice to go down. My wife was particularly interested in the color of the sand and yeah. the clearness of the water. Um, disappointingly, though, we went directly after a hurricane went through. So our first couple of days, we had double red flags, which means you can't even step in the water or else you'll die, I guess, is the gist that I got from it. Yeah. And then the day that we finally could get in it, um, there were jellyfish everywhere. So it was a, a swim at your own risk. But otherwise, it was really nice. I told you, I see how people can get allured into the trap of wanting to live by the beach. Because um, it, it's nice. It's nice to be able to have the wind and the waves constantly. Um, yeah. And for me, you know, talking about the wind and the waves, I think there's something special that kind of makes me think about God when you kind of have a lot of those different things kind of working together or experiencing all of those things in one place. Yeah. Yeah. And for those who are wondering, uh, I, I grew up on the East Coast as well. And so grew up going to Atlantic beaches for the longest time in our family. That being myself and Emily and our kids, we would go to a beach in North Carolina. And so we would be d- down on the Atlantic. And so the Atlantic is different than the Gulf. And if you've never been to one or the other, uh, the Atlantic uh, tends to have uh, bigger waves uh, it does not have sort of the white sand that the Gulf has. Uh, the Gulf is uh, maybe a little bit more of the, you know, sort of blue color that you associate with the ocean. And I would say one of the things I love about the Gulf is I've seen more wildlife down there uh, in and out of the water uh, from mm-hmm. from the birds flying around to, you know, seeing dolphins, seeing different types of fish and, and sharks even down in the Gulf, more so than I than I see them in the Atlantic. So, uh, definitely two different styles of beach. Both are great, though, for what you're talking about, for rest and relaxation and reconnection with yourself and your spiritual life and that sort of thing. Um, I'll take either one. So, man, so glad you had a good good trip. We did miss you yep. for our last uh, last episode, but looking forward to this week and this month, as you alluded to as well. So, Did we ever get the big reveal on your number? Not really, man. It was, no. uh, it was all... Honestly, I, one of the things I said was I'm more confused than I was when I started. <laughs> so definitely lean in the five six area. Um, I need to do some more exploring there to find out more about about what I am. I will say, you know, I may lean a little more six because I, you know one of the things we talked about with fives was they have a tendency to sort of dive in and want to know uh, more and more, and I do do that with some things like if i see a movie like i'll i'll get on imdb and the wikipedia page and read all about it i haven't done that yet with with uh, the enneagram so i wonder if that's you know indicative that that i may not be as much five as as i thought going in i don't know so mm-hmm. i'll do some more diving in eventually i just haven't done it yet But speaking of diving in, so let's let's dive into yeah. our topic for for this month. So as we talk about what we're talking about with with Holy Spirit encounters or, or Holy Ghost stories or however you want to say it, I will just say this this episode is going to be sort of an introduction to what we'll be doing this month and and how we are going to be talking about this topic. In my time or in in, in 
my study of this topic, there are four characteristics that I have seen when, when you're talking about the movement of the Spirit in someone's personal life. Now, I do want to say these are not exhaustive. Uh, they're not definitive. That, And what I mean by that is these aren't the only characteristics that you might find. You might listen to someone else who's going to have other ones, and that's fine. I'm just sharing. These are what I have found. And this is so. A, this is a combination of characteristics that I've identified both in study, but also in self-reflection. So it's it's really stemming from my experience and and my wrestling with the scripture, and that sort of thing. So this isn't a definitive list. This isn't an exhaustive exhaustive list. It could be more than this, but but these are four that I want to share, and I'm going to use this as a springboard for our discussion later on as we go throughout the month. So the first the first one is it's a personal experience. Like it's something that's happened to you that's the first characteristic that we can define this with the second one is you have a yearning to define it it stands out as sort of a defining moment or an unusual moment in your life and you may wonder what to do with it or it may change the course of your life in some cases so that's the second sort of characteristic the third one is you may you may begin to doubt it as time goes by the your memories of it might fade you might think like oh did that really happen or was i crazy you may sense a need to memorialize it somehow, even if it's just, you know, I'm going to write about this, I'm going to journal this or or whatever. And, the, and that leads to our fourth one. You, you may need to do some of that because, number four, it, it will not happen very often. And so those are the four sort of characteristics that I see when we're talking about this. Uh, and that we'll, we'll use sort of as, like I said, our springboard to dive deeper into this topic. Again, I want to emphasize this is not a definitive list. This is not an exhaustive list. And as we go through the month, like I'll tell my stories, Sam's going to share his, we're going to have Kristen and, and Travis on, they, they will share as well, and if you don't know who they are, if you're listening to this and you're not at First Baptist in Huntsville, Kristen and Travis are two members of our, our staff, Travis is our senior pastor, so they're going to share their stories as well, and my story will conform, confirm the characteristics that I've laid out, Sam, Kristen, Travis, they may not, they may line up with what I've laid out here, they may disagree, they may add or they may subtract an element or two. So I do want to put that out in front before we get too much further into it. The other thing I want to say is why have this conversation now? And, and the reason I really want to jump into this is because sometimes I will hear people say things like, why doesn't God move like he did in the past? Or why isn't church today like it was in the book of Acts? In other words, why is God different today than he seems to be in biblical times? Or why does he seem to lead us differently today than the way he, lit, he led people in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. And my contention through this is going to be, number one, is that he's not different and the way his spirit moves is not different. And we'll dive more into what that means. And uh, my other contention with this is, number two, you really don't want it to be. You really don't want God to be showing up in your life every day the way that you think he did in the New Testament. And we'll talk more about what that means as the weeks go by. I also want to make it clear before we get too much further into this that I'm not talking about emotive experiences. Now, it can be an emotional experience. If you have what you sense is an experience with the Holy Spirit, it can lead to an outpouring of emotions. It has done that for me. So it can be an emotional thing, but it's not always that. And just because something is emotional doesn't necessarily mean that it is the movement of the Spirit. And I think I think too many times we assume that emotional experiences are the Spirit uh, moving, and I think we assume that too often. I will say in in our day and age, we tend to see this most in worship music and in the worship music movement. And I don't mean the sound in any way that I'm denigrating that because honestly, I prefer 
contemporary style. You know, what we do in First Fellowship is sort of my, it's what resonates with me. But I will also say like music is manipulative and it's designed to be manipulative. And modern worship takes advantage of that either consciously or subconsciously. Anytime you see, you hear a swell or certain pauses or, or combinations, even, even, you know, the instruments dying out and going acapella, all of that is designed to move you emotionally. And that happens in music. Uh, it happens in contemporary music. It happens in classic music. Classical music does it too. So if you're listening to an orchestra play, anytime you hear this, a cymbal roll or you hear the timpani uh, get really loud or anytime there's a crescendo, all of that is designed to make your hair stand on end. It's designed to emotionally manipulate you and emotionally stimulate you. So I will say just because you experience that in listening to music and you could experience that in worship does not necessarily mean that it is the movement of the Holy Spirit. I've had friends before that have gone to concerts and and and, and said, you know, why why is it that when I go to a U2 concert and I hear the opening to where the streets have no name, like I feel I feel more connected than I do when I'm in a worship service. Well, it's because it's emotionally manipulative. That's that's the only yeah. reason why. Um, so I do want to put that out there as well, that emotion can be a part of this, but it's not necessarily a part of this. And just because you feel something emotionally doesn't mean you're experiencing a movement of the spirit. Mm-hmm. I also want to be clear that I do not mean to knock Pentecostalism here. Um, I grew up and in going in and out of churches that were Pentecostal. I've heard my own family speak in tongues and things like that. But I do think that can often be confused with the movement of the spirit that we're going to talk about here and that we're going to talk about in scripture. And this is a caveat that I can't get much further into right now, but I do just kind of want to lay those out sort of as, um, as, as warning signs, I, I guess, before we get too much further into that. Same, anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um, it's, it's so hard. I, I mean, cause you, yeah. you do have to draw a line with this topic mm-hmm. because you just don't have all the time in the world. Yeah, and I think one of the things, just in general, just to contextualize this entire conversation from a, a th- theological standpoint and very much a practical standpoint, is that the Holy Spirit, like, we know it's there, right? The Bible says it is, so we believe that it is. Um, you know, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. It shows up over and over and over and over and over again. Um, but it, it's kind of like advanced physics or something, right? It, it's it's hard to really be able to put your thumb on it or be really understand it. You know it's there. You don't quite get it so a lot of these and a lot of our stories are going to have sometimes bizarre things um, but that we can judge against what the bible says Um, so that's part of the framework and i think you're right not not necessarily to say that music is written to manipulate you and you can't have experiences in it Um, but there's a very important quote that has really stuck in my mind that art and music are the back door to the soul Mm. so a lot of times if someone tries to give you something intellectually it may not work Um, but you know if you're given it if you're given it in music or art you might accept it in a way because it kind of passes some of your other barriers or protective walls um and even you know scientifically to speak like there are certain notes or certain arrangements of notes that will invoke certain feelings in you um so even just minor notes right you'll hear a lot of minor notes when people want to give you something like dark or ominous and we feel it right we respond to music and that's not to say that music is bad or inherently bad because one of the beauties of christianity is being able to have different ways that we can express worship right different modes of worship whether it's in dance or music or song um so i think the biggest thing like you said is just not to attach too much significance to emotional feeling um you know the bible even tells us you know emotions are kind of fleeting right a lot of things are fleeting um but you can't disregard emotions either you take it as a whole with everything else to understand what is really kind of going on 
Yeah, I think I think there are two grave mistakes we can make with this, and one is to give too much account to our emotions, and the other is to disregard them altogether. C.S. Lewis talks a little bit in a similar vein about the way we think about the afterlife or angels and demons and things like that. He says some people tend to think about them too much, and that's unhealthy, and some people tend to not think about them enough, and that's unhealthy. There's There's a definite sort of sweet spot or middle ground, and I think you would have to say the same thing about our emotions uh, when it comes to this, because your emotions can betray you. But at the same time, you, at the end of the day, like you'll remember how you feel more than you remember anything that anybody said to you and, you mm-hmm. know, or anything you'll remember uh, if, if you've had an experience like this, you will, you will remember where it was and how you felt before you might remember what the preacher said that day or whatever. Yeah. That's just the truth of the matter. So emotions do matter. Um, I don't want to say that they don't at all, but I also just want to be careful to say it's not necessar- necessarily that an emotional experience mm-hmm. is not necessarily that as well. And also, like, we're you know, we might be able to get into this a little bit when we talk with Kristen and Travis, but we're not going to really be able to get into, at least today, a discussion on what the Trinity is. I think I think it's a hard concept to understand. I think most mm-hmm. people don't understand the Trinity well. So perhaps in the show notes, we can we can put a video or something about about sort of the Christian belief, Orthodox Christian belief in the Trinity. I think most people unknowingly have heretical beliefs about the Trinity. I know I did for a really long time. So mm-hmm. a couple of thoughts there. So so let's dive into looking at these four characteristics. So the first one I talked about is it's usually a personal experience. And so a lot of times when I'm in this discussion, I'll, I'll say to people, you know, if you felt like there was something that was sort of earth shattering or, or something that uh, happened in your life, that you just felt burdened to share, that you were like, I just, I got to tell somebody about this. What would you do? Especially if you lived in the days of the biblical authors. If you lived hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, had this experience where you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. What would you do? And the reason I ask that is because we already do that. as We still do that as people. It's how we use social media. It's how we use Instagram. It's how we use Facebook. We use those to talk about Sometimes in, insignificant portions of our day, but a lot of times significant portions of our day. Something happened, whether it's, I mean, it could be as much as a, a good meal. And, and those are things that, you know, over time fade away. But you use it also to chronicle big events in your life, like when you have job change, when you get married, when you have kids, when you graduate school and things like that. And so when you have these momentous occasions in life, it is natural for us to want to record them. It is natural for us to want to share them. It is natural for us to want to sort of compare them to one another to see uh, how they, not how they measure up in a sense of like comparing if I'm better than you or not, but just sort of a, is this a normal life experience? Yes, it is. No, it's not. But that's what we do. And we've been doing that for all time. And so that is one of the things that uh, when you're talking about the movement of the spirit and how the spirit has moved throughout history, it's really no different now than it was today. Something happens to you. You want to share it. It can be sort of a defining moment in your life. And at the end of the day, this is what scripture is. It's a it's a record or it's a collection of people's personal encounters with God. So Abraham has an encounter with God where God tells him to leave his, his family and go to a place where God will show him. And he, he does that. Uh, he doesn't have all the answers at first, but he, he follows as, you know, based on what he knows at the time. And as time goes by and as he adds to his family, like he tells these stories and they get passed down. And his family begins to have experiences and they tell those stories and they get passed down until we get to the book of Exodus where 
Moses uh, leads the people out of out of Egypt, and we have there the first time where we see that someone is is commanded to write something down in order to remember it, where Moses is given the command by God to write these things down, and so we have this sort of line of this these people having these encounters with God and these stories getting passed down, and then they start to get recorded down because you get to Moses, a man who's been educated in uh, in Egypt. He knows the, the religion of Egypt and the religion of the Hebrew people. He knows how to write. He knows philosophy and all these things. And so he really becomes sort of the perfect person to be the one through whom these stories kind of culminate. And whether he wrote them or people who followed him wrote him wrote the wrote these stories down, somebody did because it was commanded uh, to Moses for that to happen. And so I say all that to say there's something that usually that we can go back to. There's something definitive in someone's life that we can go back to. It's a spiritual experience. And this is what Scripture is ultimately. This is this is what it is meant to be used for. You can have cases like Moses, like Abraham, like Paul, where they have a very tangible spiritual experience where it's a moment that they can point back to and say like oh this happened at this time you can also have encounters like esther had like david had like the disciples had where things happened sort of on a day-by-day basis and they didn't really realize it was the movement of god until they looked back and kind of looked at it in in context and looked at it in, in comparison to kind of what what happened versus what you know what they would have expected to have happened and so that's another time where the movement of god can happen as well, but these things begin to be written down and passed on. And I'll say too, like you know, um, there are cases in Scripture. You know, there's a point in Second um, Corinthians 12 where Paul says, "I know a man 14 years ago who was taken up into heaven in a vision." And uh, some people say that was Paul talking about himself in the third person. Other people say, you know, we don't really know who it is, but whatever it is, like the fact that he says 14 years ago, the fact that he he has a definitive timeline for when this happened i saw another video uh travis actually sent to me because he knew we were doing this it was denzel washington in an interview talking about an encounter with the holy spirit that he had and he dated it and i can't remember what what year he gave but it was within the 1980s he said i was i was in this place and it was 1986 or whatever and but he had like he knew when it happened and it was definitive time that he could look back to and that he could remember very clearly and so that tends to be what it is or it tends to be uh, how you begin to identify whatever this is, whether it happened like Abraham, like Moses, like Paul, as a experience that you can put your finger on or whether it's sort of a chain of events that you don't really recognize until you look back on it. Yeah, and I think you're right, and I think you hit on a couple of things. I think we really expect a lot of times these like Moses and the burning bush or like Noah and the flood type of like massive experiences. And granted, there are those, and a lot of times when we have them, they are just such powerful moments where just like, oh shoot, like I don't know what to do other than like follow what it is. Um, but there's also other stories, right, with Elijah on Mount Carmel where he's expecting to hear like this giant booming voice. He expects to hear it in the wind or the lightning, and it's really just the soft stillness that he hears God's voice. Um, so I think that's something to keep in perspective. But as far as the Bible recording things over and over, right, it's you read the Old Testament carefully and you find almost book after book after book after book after book. There are multiple times and multiple places where people were like, I had a really powerful experience with God in this place. So I'm going to establish something here because I can't afford to miss this. I can't for, 
afford to forget it. The people after me can't afford to forget it. Yeah. Um, so you see other places in the Bible later on where they're like, oh, these are the wells of Isaac, right? right. Like Isaac was directed or, um, you know, Hagar, right? Had different places or different things. Even when the people crossed from or into Canaan, right, to conquer the land, there are, we're going to put stones in the water because God did something amazing here. Right. Um, so I think that's, you know, it, it's very biblical. We see it. It's still happening. And I think that's a, a really cool thing. Yeah, we'll get into that. That's actually uh, on my agenda coming up. But uh, so, you know, it's it, it happens and it gets recorded. It's a personal experience. It gets passed down and gets shared. And this leads to my second characteristic where there's sort of a yearning to define this, to compare it, to see like, hey, how normal is this? That kind of thing. Because usually it's a different kind of experience. It's something that you can put your finger on and say, this was unusual. Again, whether it was a you know, flash of light sort of experience, vision in the sky sort of thing, or whether it was, oh, this chain of events happened and it, it's too eerie to be mere coincidence. Whatever it is, you have an experience that you can put your finger on that you recognize this is different than normal everyday experience. And then you begin to have sort of a yearning to define this. And if you go back to these earliest days, these people who wrote scripture, they did not know that they were writing scripture down. They just knew that they were writing down stories of their encounters with God. And, and then after some time, they began to write down some of their teachings. So scripture didn't fall out of the sky. It's not the, you know, we, we grew up hearing it's the B-I-B-L-E, like uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. You know, it's not necessarily that. It's not about if you do certain things or if you follow certain formulas, then certain things are going to happen or you're going to unlock eternal truths in your life. That's, that's more of a bunk mysticism. It's actually just a record of people actually trying these formulas and they don't work or they can't do them. Yeah. And so what now? How is God going to how's God going to save us because these formulas don't work? And after some time, you know, these stories become recognized and, and confirmed. For example, you have the prophets. The prophets that we have in the Bible were not the only men who were going around or women going around saying that they were prophets or being recognized as prophets at the time. Their writings weren't the only writings that were written down at the time or that were read in the, at the time. In fact, Jeremiah, nobody really listened to him in his day. They listened to some of the other prophets who proved to be false prophets. The difference was what Jeremiah said came true. And so people recognized this later and realized that Jeremiah was inspired at the time. They didn't know that he was at the time. And so then they went back and they were like, oh, well, we need to preserve his words. And we have uh, a record, in fact, in the book of Daniel, which is about 100 years later, Daniel can say like he was reading Jeremiah when he began to experience visions from God. So uh, this process of scripture becoming scripture was this process of people having these encounters with God and passing them down and sharing them and people beginning to weigh them. In, in other words, did, you know, what so-and-so said, did that happen? And in the case of Jeremiah, it did. In the case of the other prophets that lived in Jeremiah's time, so many of them, it didn't. So then it became really easy to identify oh, Jeremiah was inspired and these other guys weren't. And so these things began to be passed down. And as God revealed himself, as perhaps multiple people began to experience these things, there became a need to measure the veracity of, of these encounters. And so scripture throughout this was recognized as inspired because of where it led the people of God or because of how it came true. And in, in other cases too, like they considered, you know, where was the source where this came from? Who, who did it come from? That comes into play with the New Testament. You know, the New Testament writers were people who were one, one of the qualifications with, of that was they had to have seen the risen Jesus. 
And so these things become identified over time and recognized as inspired over time by other people who are having similar experiences. And so then these become what we call the canon. And what that means, the word canon is just, I think it's a Latin word, but it just means measuring stick. Uh, we would use today, the word today like ruler or um, yardstick, or we would use you know measuring tape or whatever. What happens is these words, the, these, these stories that get passed down, that get written down, that become canonized as scripture, become sort of the measuring rod against which we, we measure our own experiences. So we have our experiences. We measure them against the scriptures because that is the recognized measuring stick that the people of God have, have put together over time, have identified over time as having been the inspired movement of the Spirit. And so then when we get to today, it works in, the, in much the same way. Like our encounters with God should line up with what we see in Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that certain things that happen to certain people in Scripture are going to be what happens to you, but just that the movement of God in your life should be identifiable at least in the same way. One major difference is your experiences and my experiences are not going to be canonized for future generations because we don't have the proximity uh, to Jesus or to uh, the temple that uh, that the biblical writers did. But those, I mean, those were key key components of uh, of this process, and, and there's a lot more to it that we can't get into. Uh, but basically, that is kind of how it started. Scripture didn't fall out of the sky. It wasn't. You know, that certain people were like everything they wrote down was scripture. It was people had encounters with God. They shared them. They preserved them. As time went by, it became obvious which ones were legitimate and which ones weren't. And so those kind of became more preserved and more saved and more valued to the point where uh, it was recognized that they were inspired and uh, profitable for those who, who came after and profitable for us to be able to measure our experiences Again, so that's sort of the second component of it. The the third one is typically what I have seen in my life and with those that um, I've talked to is you tend to see sort of a, a doubting after some time goes by that this may have happened or maybe you maybe you doubt your experience, maybe you doubt your own sanity with it. I'm not sure. And so uh, what comes into play here is the need to memorialize it, like you were saying, and like you see in Scripture. And this is something I think that we don't do enough. I think if we if we spent more time telling our stories today of the encounters that we feel like we have had with the Holy Spirit, as arbitrary as they might seem, I think at least if we were to do that more, we wouldn't be asking, why doesn't God move the way that he does in the New Testament? Because I, I think we just don't tell our stories enough. And one of the things I would say here is as you reflect on your own experiences with the Spirit in your life, write them down, keep track of them, tell them to people in your family, know your parents' stories. Everybody should know if your parents are professing believers in Jesus, you should know what their stories are of why they why they believe that and the encounters that they believe they've had with the Spirit. And you should tell your own story to your own kids. Um, I'm going to make my kids listen to this podcast, particularly the part where we do my story, because I want them to know that. And this idea of memorializing our encounters with God is littered, like you said, same throughout the scripture, from building altars to assigning names to things like mountains and wells. You mentioned Hagar, uh, Abraham, when he has his encounter with God on the mountain in Genesis 22, calls the mountain the Lord will provide. Like all these things are for the point of memorializing the encounters that people have had with God. They are to signify that something has happened here, and then they are to serve as reminders 
every time Abraham passes by that mountain and every time Isaac passes by that mountain and as that story gets passed down in his family, every time they pass by on that mountain, they are to remember that, that something happened here, that, that God moved in our family here. With Abraham, it's really easy because that ended up being where they built the temple. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. But, um, you know, in other cases, you know, there's 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 places where they built altars that would, you know, just a stack of stones they put on top of one another. But it served as a reminder to the people that God did something. The festivals are to this end as well, to remember what the Lord has done. So all the festivals that you read about in the Old Testament, if you ever read through the Old Testament, you'll see the, the Jewish people party a lot because they have a lot of festivals in which they they celebrate what God has done for them. And I feel like that doesn't carry over into our church life as much as it should. We should have a lot of fellowship. We should have a lot of fun together to celebrate what God has done in our life. And then the command to remember is given often in Scripture. We're, if you read through it again, you'll see the command over and over and over. Remember, remember, remember. Not quite as much as do not fear, uh, but it's up there. And it's a theme that is repeated again and again from the Passover feast which is a feast of remembrance in Exodus 12. It says, this is a day that you are to commemorate for the generations to come. The Sabbath is given to the people with a command in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, and, and in the command, it says, remember that you were slaves and that God brought you out. So the Sabbath is supposed to be a day for stopping the regular rut of what we do day in and day out and to intentionally take some time to remember what the Lord has done not what we have done. And then you find it all the way even into the Lord's Supper where the command is to do this in remembrance of me. So this idea of memorializing things, of remembering things is repeated over and over and over and over in scripture. And I find this helpful for me. There are times of doubt for me when I need to walk through some of my experiences or through a series of exercises that I have kind of built for myself that are both logical and experiential that help me rebuild sort of the footing that I stand on. So when I have these moments where I'm sort of doubting things or I'm just having a really hard time where I sense silence in my spiritual life. Um, I, I use these this practice of sort of remembering things to help me uh, engage back with my faith or, or nourish my soul when I feel like there, there is silence from God or silence from the Spirit. So I talked about my friend before you came on, before uh, at the very beginning of, of this episode, Sam, and his concern when he uh, had his experience with the Spirit was he wanted it to go away. Because he couldn't sleep, because he couldn't, uh, yep. it, it was just, he described it as a burden. And I told him, I said, eventually it's going to go away, and then you're going to doubt it, and you're going to wonder if it really happened, and you're going to wonder if you were crazy, and things like that. And, and I met with him sometime later, and, and he had been sort of relieved of the of the experience, and began to start sort of having these things where he was questioning it. And I told him, write it down, write down what you remember about keep it fresh and, and revisit it often. So that's a very biblical concept that I think we miss oh, yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. And I think, you know, what something that I read recently is just that there's kind of this pervasive concept, whether recognized or not, that pastors and ministers are kind of like a cut above regular people. And it's like, no, I, I'm really not. Like, that's we're, true. We're really not. Like we struggle with praying. We struggle with reading scripture regularly. I'm sorry, John, the cat's out of the bag. I'm sorry for outing you and all the rest of us. Yeah. Um, no. It's true. But even even with these, like the calls to ministry, like I've I've talked to many a pastors who have been in a senior preaching role for decades at large churches. And they say, you know what, every morning I have to talk myself out of myself out of quitting because I'm just I'm just not sure if I'm called to this. And you would be like, hey, name a person at name of popular church. What do you mean every day? Like you were super successful. You have a great church. How can you not tell that like God has placed something upon you or God has called you to something? And they're like, 
nope, you know what, every day or every Monday, I just ask myself if it's still worth worth it or if I made a mistake or if this is even what I'm supposed to be doing at all in the first place. Um, so I think regardless of where you are, um, that's and it's so important, you know, we, it, it, it's almost seems, it almost seems optional to record it. And I think it's really important to ourselves that we record it so we can say on this day, this happened and I just don't know what was happening, but I just felt this weight and I knew that there was an urgency and I can't put my finger on what it was and I just don't understand it. I can't explain it, but it, it was pushing me into something that I didn't fully comprehend at the time. I just knew that it was pushing me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think then you're exactly right. And I think uh, that is important for people to know that just because there are those of us who are vocational ministers that are professional spiritual people or whatever. <laughs> professional. We, yeah. We, we, we don't, <laughs> things aren't different for us uh, than it is for you. I think a lot of times one of the things that happens in ministry, both, in lay ministry and in vocational ministry, I think a lot of times people get into ministry or into serving their church because they want it to serve some kind of end in their life. And so this is what happens, not every case, but a lot of times when you know a minister or a deacon or whoever has a falling from grace, um, a lot of times it's because they didn't really have the right motivation in the first place because they thought ministers are super spiritual or people who are Sunday school teachers are super spiritual. And if I just did that, then I would be rid of this addiction that I have or this hidden sin that I have that if God, if I did that, God would honor me and it would solve my problems and you get into it and it doesn't solve your problems and you have the same problems that everybody else has. And if you don't realize that going in, and if you don't recognize that, even when you're in it, then you can have, you can be that person who falls. And I mean, that's exactly how it happens to so many people who are involved in ministries because they get in wanting it to save them. It doesn't save you. And many times it makes whatever problems you have worse. Uh, mm. So it is not, it's not the place to go if you want to fix things in your life. Yeah. Uh, it'll, it'll just magnify. Them. Yeah. And talking about Moses as someone who had a, a big spiritual moment, right? He's, you know, he had these great one-on-one -on -one experiences with God, whether it was in the, the burning bush or, you know, God working directly through him in the number of ways or experiencing God on the mountain so much so that he had to cover his face because he just shone so much. But what we kind of forget is at the end of the story, like Moses isn't allowed to enter the promised land, mm -hmm. right? Moses dies standing on a mountaintop looking into the promised land because he disobeyed God and he lost faith, right? So even this person that is heralded as almost the, the father of the Jew, the modern Jewish faith in a lot of ways, like he was still human, right? He was still a person. He was still broken. He was still trying to figure it out. I'm sure there were, there were days where he was like, yeah, I'm just not feeling like talking to God and God's there at the tent and he's like, hello, or in a, a, buyer, a, a, a burning pillar through the sky and he's like hello come on moses and moses is like i'm not feeling it today yeah you know like we're still people we're still normal um but that's why it's important to hold on to these things to say no this i legitimately did see god in this burning bush and he told me to do this and this is what i'm going to hold to even if i'm not feeling it today right right and i think so the importance of this of building sort of these remembrances or these memorials in your life to help you recenter and refocus on the times when you have felt god moving in your life the importance of that is because it leads to the fourth characteristic. It will not happen often in your life. It might happen a handful of times in your life if you're lucky, at least in what I have seen. Um, and in between, you will have dry spells, and you will have a lot of dry spells, and you will have long dry spells, and you will have times where you will wonder if you've really had these experiences with God. You will have times where you will wonder if you're not. And I would say that the fact that you do have significant periods of silence is confirmation that the experiences that you may have had are not the result of you being crazy. So I do want, I want to put that out there as well, but you will have these times. And so it is important to have these memorials that you establish in your, in your life where you can, you can remember 
man, on such and such day or such and such year, God moved in my life. And I'm going to remember that when I'm having these dry spells. I'm going to tell this to my kids and tell this to my family because this is why I identify as a Christian. This is why I follow God because this happened in my life. And it becomes a part of your testimony, a part of your mm-hmm. witness. Um, when you look in the Bible, people didn't experience the Spirit all the time. We misperceive that they did. The reason that their encounters that they had, the reason that they are recorded for us is precisely because they are unusual, because they aren't the mundane everyday ins and outs of life. And so when you look at lives of certain people like Abraham, between Genesis chapter 16 and 17, this is one of my favorite ones that I point out to people. You know, we all know that Abraham was promised a son that ended up being Isaac. But we we don't always think about the timeline of when it was. And, you know, Abraham gets impatient. Sarah gets impatient. He ends up having a child with his uh, concubine, Hagar. And uh, that's Ishmael. And, and it tells us in Genesis chapter 16 that Abraham was 86 years old. And then in the very next verse in Genesis chapter 17, it says, 13 years later, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, hey, do you remember the promise I made to you? So from the time Abraham was 86 to 99, he was just hanging on this promise from God that God was going to give him a son. And we have nothing. There, evidently, there was just silence that whole time. And how many times in that time did Abraham wonder if God was going to come through with him or where God was? Or anything like that. You also have a case uh, in the narratives um, in, in Luke, the infancy narratives. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. He's a, a priest. He's in the temple. And this angel appears to him and says, hey, that prayer that you've been praying for your wife to have a, a son is going to be made true. And he doesn't believe it. I think the reason why he doesn't believe it is because it wasn't a prayer that he was praying that morning. It was a prayer that he had prayed like decades ago because he doesn't respond in the way someone would respond if it was something that they prayed a few hours ago. He responds as if it was someone who's like, I I totally stopped praying about that, you know? So he has these years, evidently, of, of silence. Uh, Paul continually revisits his conversion experience. We're told about the conversion in Acts chapter 9. And then when he's given, um, when he has to give an account before uh, both the Jewish rulers and Roman rulers in Acts chapter 22 and 26, he revisits his conversion experience. All the things that Paul experienced in his life, angels like opening jail doors and removing shackles and all these things, and what he continues to go back to, and he even alludes to it in Galatians when he writes Galatians, and 1 Corinthians 15, he always goes back to his conversion experience, the one time where he knows that he saw Jesus. And there are a lot of times where Paul talks about hardships in his life where he didn't get anything. He didn't hear from the Lord at all. And then one of my other really favorite ones to look at is John the Baptist himself. He was in prison and he sends disciples to to Jesus to ask Jesus, like, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we thought you were going to be? And what does Jesus say? Go back to John and tell John what you have seen. He doesn't say, I'm going to free John. He doesn't say, I'm going to deliver for John. John is in prison and he's going to die there. And what Jesus says is, John is basically what he says is, John has seen what he's going to see. You tell him what you've seen um, to encourage John, to lift him up, to remind him that, hey, this is this is the Messiah. So John doesn't necessarily get his prayers answered, but he is he is given by Jesus the the. Um, I would say the benefit of the testimony of others to confirm the movement of God. And when he has a dry spell in his life, the encouragement that God sort of prescribes from him is to listen to the stories of others, hear what others have seen. And that's really what this really whole month, this whole podcast series 
is about when you have dry spells, when you're in that dungeon like John the Baptist was, when you can't see the sun or the light anywhere, listen to the stories of others. Ask them what they have seen. Use that as a way to enlighten your life and enlighten your walk with God. Any thoughts on that, Sam, before we close this up? Yeah. You know, I keep on going back to this kind of this uh, metaphor that I tell people when it comes to these big experiences. It's it's a lot like ESPN's highlight reel, right? I'm a big sports fan, John. I know you're a big sports fan. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're in the middle of football season, right? And, you know, pick pick a team. You know, they may do something really amazing one day, and that's going to make the highlight reel. But they're not going to show, like, the missed assignment in the secondary that blew open a big touchdown. They're not going to show that their quarterback got sacked four times. They're going to show that on this one play – things happened and they were able to throw a bomb in the end zone and even if the team lost like they don't really tell you that they just show that this really big thing happened and i think that's what we see throughout the bible just a lot of really big things happening and then people saying like i don't know how it happened or why it happened i just know it did happen and here's how it happened um luke is the perfect person right he does luke and acts or at least it's believed he writes both and he's very apparent or very clear and transparent in the first one he says i'm just writing what i've seen and what people have told me of what they've seen and if you kind of want proof, like, the Bible doesn't do a lot of whitewashing. Right. Like, there are a lot of people in here who are like, well, they're not really great people, but they're just telling you exactly what they've seen, exactly as it happens. You don't have to sell it, right? Just, this is what happened. This is what I experienced. This is the big play that's going to make Sports Center, even if it's not this other giant massive play. Like, big plays don't have to be massive for them to still be big plays, if that makes sense, to run with that metaphor a little bit further yeah no that's great great uh spin to put on it and a great way to to wrap this up i appreciate your time man and i'm looking so forward to this month and diving in this together with you and with Kristen and with travis and i'll just put it out there for any of our listeners i'd love to know your story so there's always a cup of coffee an offer for a cup of coffee on the table uh for us to meet up i'd love to hear your holy ghost stories and, and the encounters that you've had with god so as we walk through this together i hope that uh that you know, you begin to recognize some things in your life where God has moved, and and I'd love to to hear your story. I'd love to help you identify and process it any way that we can. So let me put that offer out on the table for anybody that that's in Huntsville that's listening to this. And as we prepare to walk into the rest of this month together, I want to do it with this backdrop in mind of these characteristics, and and really more than anything else, I hope the takeaway for our listeners is precisely what we talked about early on: that God does not move differently now than he did in the book of Acts. If you experience silence, if you experience rarity or a doubting of your supernatural experiences with God, then guess what? You're in good company, both uh, on this podcast, but also like in scripture. And as we go into the weeks ahead, we will hear the story of some of my encounters, like I've said, some of Sam's, and of course, as we've said before, Kristen and Travis. Also in the coming weeks, we may dive a little more into some of the things that we've introduced today. So I've mentioned earlier in today's show that you don't want God to show up as actively in your life as you think he does in the Old and New Testament. So I'll, I'll talk a bit about a bit more about that in the coming weeks, about what I mean there. And we'll dive a little bit more into the silence that people experience as it is depicted in Scripture, things like that. And I'll provide some things on our show notes for you that will help you dive a little bit deeper for those of you that want to do that. Tim Mackey from The Bible Project has a great lecture on how we got the Bible and, and what we do with it. So he takes a little bit more deeper Uh, than we did today about the process of canonizing scripture and why we can have the confidence in it despite the humanness of the process of preserving it. There's a great episode from the Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast about the gifts of the Spirit. And there's one I just saw today from a young adult podcast out of Oklahoma that is dealing with this topic this month as well. So it seems to be a popular topic this time of year 
Um, so be sure to give it a look or look at, at least into the show notes if you want to explore this any further. With all that said, we are going to say bye for now. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Sam and I will be back in our next episode as we share our stories of our encounters with the Spirit in our life. So look for that in a week on Holy Ghost Stories with FBC Young Adults Podcast. And as always, if you are a part of the FBC Young Adult Ministry or if you're in the Huntsville area, we invite you to visit us at fbchsv.org slash youngadults. We have some exciting things coming up this month, including a fun outing on the 16th. That's one of those sort of fellowship, let's celebrate together times that we talked about, Sam. We call that Pumpkin Patch. We've been doing it for years. We hope you will join us for that and you'll find more info about it at fbchsv.org slash youngadults. So until next time, visit us there online. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Share us on your various platforms and channels. And for Sam, for myself, Thank you so much for listening. Hope you all have a great week.